Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Today I want to bring you a message I'm entitling, Why God Have You Allowed This? Why God Have You Allowed This? We are just a few days into 2015. Already, many things have fallen apart in many lives. There has been sickness. There has been loss of job. There has been death. There has been divorce. There has been diagnosis of serious illness. That's what life is all about. None of us know what another day is going to bring. One day last week, one of our staff members, two of our staff members preached two funerals. So that's four just between the two of them, of members of families that have absent from the body, but they're present with the Lord. We don't know what to expect when we turn on the news every single day. We know what the Scripture says if we are Christians and have read the Bible, that these things have been prophesied that will come to pass, but the world either ignores them or many young people refuse to even watch them and they pay no attention to the real facts of what's going on in their world. And it's our duty as Christians to make sure that the good news is gotten out and that's called the gospel. The word gospel means good news. I want to take us back to the Old Testament. Things are not different now, not one bit different now than they were when Moses was on the planet hundreds, even thousands of years ago. I want to take you into a story where Israel, God's chosen people, who were given the message from heaven as to who they were and what they were to do, were beginning to deal with the realities of original sin and they began to drift back into the world. And as they did this, many, many tragic things happened to them. They were told over and over by God, you're my people, you're my chosen people. I've chosen you to bring my son into this world through the lineage of Israel. They had heard the word they had experienced some things in their day that were obvious that God had spoken. And these people from Israel, if you will remember, if you've studied your Bible, not only were they told they were special to God, but they were experiencing numerous things that showed them that God was with them. Do you remember the Passover when the death angel came, the first Passover, and the blood was be on the doorpost so that the firstborn would not be taken? They experienced that. They were blessed by it. Their child was saved. You remember how the sea was parted. They were able to walk over and dry land. Pretty good miracle in that days, in those days. You remember how the rock was struck and the water gushed out to help them survive. And when they got hungry, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, God opened heaven and the quail, the quail came down. The quail, which none of you have ever been given by anybody that, that hunts quail. 
Only the ducks and the doves and the squirrels and the bear meat do you get, but none of us get quail because that's God's very best meat, and that's what they had experienced. Well, in all of that, you'd think that they would know God was with them, but they didn't get it. Now, before I read the text, and it's in 20, uh, Numbers 21, we'll be using several verses. I'm only going to read one. But before I read it, you would think America would know that it's a blessed nation by God. You would think that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that if you had a third grade in history that you would know that God has intervened in the affairs of the United States of America to indicate to us that God has a purpose for this nation. But the overwhelming majority, probably 80%, would not agree with that statement. Well, God's children are out in the middle of a lot of problems, a lot of disappointments, a lot of discouragement, just like some of you may be today already in 2015. And I want to read to you from the fifth verse of the 21st chapter of Numbers, and listen carefully as I read the Scripture, and I want you to, why, why uh, don't you just uh, bow your head for a moment instead of standing, just in, in humbleness to God, rather than you look at the screen or the iPhone, just let me read the fifth verse of Numbers 21. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, and said, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes, loathes this light bread. Father, would you open up your word to us in these few minutes? In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but many of God's people are are prone to grumble and complain. It wasn't only in Moses' day. It's been in every day. It is very easy for us individually and collectively. It is easy for the individual. It's, it's easy for the couple. It is easy for the family. It's easy for the, for the nation. And it's easy, even easy for the world. And it's easy for the church to begin to grumble about who God is and how he does things or what he allows to be done. You remember these people were promised by God that he would lead them. And he said, I will lead you in a way that everyone can understand how I am leading so that you'll know what to follow. And you remember the pillar of the clouds by day and the pillar of fire at night. In the daytime, all you do is just follow that cloud. I will put a cloud out there, and you follow it. For the blind, hold them by the hand and lead them, but follow the cloud by day. And then when it gets dark and you can't see the, the mountain in the distance or whatever, I will put a pillar of fire out. And when that fire stops, you stop. When it moves, you move. And they were given those simple instructions that God would lead them out of their bondage and when they were in captivity and lead them to where he wanted them to go. But they, could, they got so discouraged, so despondent. They, they got angry with Moses first, 
And then they got mad at God. And they started grumbling and complaining and in, in such a strong way that their total prayer life became why, 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 why. Their, their total thought life was why, why, why. Why have you allowed this to happen? Why this? Why me? I don't understand God. Well, if that's the kind of God you are, I'm going to go and create my own God. And so now today we have people all the time telling you about their God. You see, tragedy, well, I know one thing. My God is certainly not that kind of God. My God wouldn't let that person suffer because they come out of a good, wonderful Christian home, whatever. It's still the same way. There's no difference. No difference whatsoever. They simply could not or they would not accept one fact, and that is that God's ways are higher than man's ways. They could not get it. There is ways that seem right unto men, the Bible says, but the end thereof is the way of death. The overwhelming religious community today that says they're followers of God through Jesus Christ are trying to create what God ought to be like. Good people ought to be blessed, and bad people ought to be punished. And good people ought to be able to stay well, and bad people ought to get sick. Good people ought to live and bad people ought to die or whatever. You've probably been there yourself. I have. I have found times in my life when things weren't going well. You're not the only one in town that might say it's been a difficult year. Maybe you've already said it three times and you're sitting by somebody that said ten times since January the 1st, I don't know what I'm going to do. 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 Then one day we decide, I'm just going to take it out on God. I'm just going to rob God of his tithe if you ever gave one. I'm going to quit coming to church if you ever used to go. I'm going to quit serving, even if you've never served. That's your excuse for not giving, not serving, not coming, or whatever you want to go. I'm not going to pray anymore. I told God five times what to do, and he did not do it. I'm through with him. <laughs> and so the church, the family of God, the bride of Christ, begins to struggle because they say, Lord, Lord, but they don't do the things that he commands. We do not abstain from evil. We do not choose to walk in obedience to his commands. We consider his position and put it with everyone else and try to come up with a way. So what happens is the Bible is closed and it's laying somewhere. The seat is empty where you used to sit at church. The time of prayer has been pushed out because your schedule is so big and busy that you have no time for that. And the very thought of coming to church is just dwindling across America. So we point our finger at God. We point our finger at a church. We point our finger at religious leaders. 
And we never stop to look a little bit closer. Let me say this. You know, as you read the Bible through, for those of you that are underlining, you're going to pick up some stuff that you weren't even looking for. God has a way of doing that. He has the phone ring. You forget where you are, and you came back and tried to find it. Why are you trying to find where you were? You read some stuff that God wanted you to read because if you just stayed there, you just run right past it. I'll, I'll get you to look for this, but I can find no biblical illustration in the Bible of God's people crying out to God in humble, desperate, repentant oneness that God didn't answer their prayer. I don't find it anywhere. When God's people, which are called by God's name, came in one accord, all through the Scripture, I can't find one time. Now, when one of them were going this way and one this way and one that way and one this way, nothing ever happened. But when they got together, following the true God, God began to bless. And discouragement can have a devastating effect on your life. It can, have, it can cause you mental, emotional, and even physical problems. It can cause you marital problems, work problems, driving problems. Your mind is somewhere else. You're out there on the freeway, and there's thousands of people running up down the freeway. You're thinking about, you don't even know what street you're on. You find yourself going past where you meant to turn off. Well, those things have a debilitating effect on our life. So I asked, why did Moses put that in his book? And the people spake against God and against Moses, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Why did he put that in there? I think we'll find the answer pretty quickly. Because Paul wrote, hundreds of years later, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. In the 10th chapter, verse 11, here's what he said. Now, all of these things happened unto them, Moses, for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Here's what Paul said. Moses put that stuff in there for us. Here's what the pastor is saying. God put this stuff in there for us, for our generation. Not just for our church, but for God's people. What happens when God's people refuse to follow God's word? What happens when God's people begin to just put aside God's word because it is not acceptable to the overwhelming majority of the world's population, or especially in our world of America? Well, we can learn by what happened to them. You've heard me say this a hundred times. Anything that's been proven right by experience, a wise person will take advantage of it. Well, anything that's been proven wrong by experience, a wise person will run from it. <clears throat> and let me tell you something. You don't want to get mad at God. You don't, want to, well, you don't want to say to God, woe is me. You don't ever bless me. You don't want to ever get there. Because when these people did, bad things began to happen, but I want to say it one more time, discouragement comes real easily. You can get discouraged real easily. You walk on eggshells and don't you offend me, I'll never come back again. God, don't you ever not answer my prayer or I'll never pray again. Don't get there. You don't want to be there. A lot of people 
and maybe all of us, spend a lot of plates. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember growing up seeing it several times on some of these variety shows of these plate spinners. You remember that? They'd have all these plates piled up back here, and they'd have these sticks. And they'd put, you know, they'd spin it mm, like that and put it down here, you know, and they'd go back and get another one. And then they'd spin it, and they'd put it down, put it down. And then they'd get about here, and what would happen back here? The first one started slowing. So they'd run back here, you know, mm, 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 you know, and then they'd go out here and get another, get another. And they'd have them out there, maybe 20 plates, and then all of a sudden they'd always come crumbling in. Well, what's the point? That's the way a lot of lives are. You're trying to keep so many plates spinning and have no priorities in your life. It's what everybody else is doing. Listen, you can't do what everybody else is doing because everybody else is going like this in all directions, the good and the bad. You have to be still and know that he is God and do what God tells you to do and be who you are. God did not call most of us to sing like the old past. He didn't give us those kind of voices. He did not give us the gifts of a David Gentiles or instrumentalists or whatever, but he gave you some gifts. And you need to major on what God gave you. And you need to think about, God, what do you want me to do? A mental health doctor might look in this scripture and maybe he would put it in simple words. They didn't like the way they were being led and they didn't like the way they were being fed. They were griping about the manna from heaven. They were griping about how God was leading them and how Moses was leading them. And, and they began to complain, and they didn't like that at all. And so they got real upset. So they took it out on Moses. They took it out on God. But let me tell you something. Anytime God's people try to settle on the world's manna and feed on the world's manna and satisfy ourselves with, with the world's manna, we're going to have major problems. God doesn't feed his children what the world feeds. First of all, God always speaks the truth. The world lies to you every single day. When you get hooked on programs that even have the word idols in them and you would not mention and want to see who the next idol is going to do and be in America you need to stop and say maybe I need to see who's going to be the God of America and whether I'm going to follow that God or not there's not a person here that would not could make a legitimate argument to me that entertainment and sports and making money have become idols in America. And every single one of those are temporary. When you draw your last breath, you will not have one dime to your name when you step into eternity. To buy your way out of hell or buy your way into heaven, you will go away with zero. None of us know what another, and to this generation's idols will not be the next generation's idols in the way of people. And the idols are falling everywhere, everywhere. Can you believe the attention that's been given to a deflated football? <laughs> now, folks, you're getting pretty sick when that becomes a number one news run on American television. I'm telling you. That is the most, that's just an example of thousands of others. But we just love it. 
We could, what would we talk about? We'd have to talk about Jesus and God if we didn't have all that stuff to talk about. But if we can talk about those things of the world, we don't have to talk about God. We don't have to tell people about God because they, know, they heard something on the news that we didn't hear about whatever. So all Moses was doing was doing what God told him. That's all he was doing, right? That's all he did. He wasn't any genius. And I'm going to tell you again, and I'll probably tell you several more times before Easter, when you read through the Bible, you find out what God's people did that God chose to lead his people. And all they did was listen in the ear and speak it out of their mouth. And that's all Moses did. Moses didn't make that stuff up. God told him, he said, you go tell the people that. You go down there and tell those people that are worshiping that golden calf that they better get their act straight because I'm not putting up for that very long. And they were running around in immorality. They were drinking and carrying on and all that kind of stuff. And we have all of this out there today, and we feel like it's God's fault. So what are we going to forsake? Well, let's just forsake the things of God. Let's get rid of the Bible. Let's don't go to church. Let's don't trust God. Let's don't pray. Let's go with the world. And I'm sure it'll get better once we tell God what he's doing wrong. So the people of God, I mean, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why did you do this? Why, 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 why? Man, they hated manna. They had manna in the morning, manna at noon, manna in the evening. They got sick and tired of manna. And we don't want Moses to lead us, and we don't want God to feed us. Well, what was the result? God made it clear to them, okay, I'm going to give it to you your way. You want your way? I'm going to give it to you your way. Have you read those scriptures? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You remember where that was? That was the people crucifying Jesus. Jesus spoke in behalf, interceding and said, Father, forgive them. Forgive America. They know not what they're doing. God, I think down deep in their heart, and certainly the born-again believers in America, they know who you are and they love you. But they're so caught up in this culture that they have backed away and their families are falling apart, their lives are falling apart, their example is falling apart, and they still don't get it. Well, what happened? You remember verse 6? And the Lord sent a fiery serpent among them, the people. They bit the people, and much of Israel died. You know, sometimes we get what we want, we don't want what we get. When Satan attacks, the pain can be horrendous. Read the scripture here. The snake, the serpent, bit the people. I don't know if you've ever been snake bit or not. I have not been. I've come close many times. I've never been bit. But people have been bit by poisonous snakes tell me it's one of the most horrendous pains that the human body can endure for a little while. So here the snake is, is, comes and, and uh, bites them, and uh, the pain is just excruciating. And the Bible says that in, in Proverbs 13, 15, good understanding gives favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. When, when you start playing with sin, you will get bit. Now notice what happened. Some that got bit got sick. 
but some died. That's exactly what happens today. Some that are sick are going to keep playing with the snakes because they don't think they have enough venom to kill them, enough sin to kill them, and others die. So we watch the news and we watch the comedians hang themselves. We watch those horrendous stories of Americans' idols and we say, I don't understand. That's what I want to be like. That's what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be like them. I don't think so. All the bites were painful. All of them. All sin is painful. You don't enjoy sin as a believer. There's pleasure in some sin for a season, but, it, but the end thereof, the Bible says, the way of death. And so the serpent comes, and of course we know that that's always Satan in the Scripture as he was brought out. And the, and the sixth verse says, many died. Now, if you keep notes, you need to tie that to Romans 6, 23, New Testament. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the end product of sin. James wrote these words. First chapter, verse 14, going back to that old, Old Testament story. Look at verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. All the way back to the back part of the Bible ties to the front part of the Bible. Sin is the common denominator and grace is this common denominator and sin is playing the Savior in the spiritual Super Bowl. Who's going to win? You'll decide. Because the Bible is very clear that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says we've all been snake bit. None are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The one, whoever says they've sinned, have not sinned, they deceive themselves, the Bible says, and the truth is not in them. That snake comes. But there's good news. The gospel is good news. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a remedy for discouragement, and it's to be born again and for old things to pass away and all things become new. There is a remedy for the shackles that bind you, the way you cannot be diverted from the things of this world. You know what God's people, Israel, learned their lesson? Are you ready for this? Real quickly. I wish America could do that. I wish we could learn our lesson real quickly. The evidence is out there, but have we learned our lesson? Well, where is the cure? Look at the seventh and eighth verse of Numbers chapter 21. Therefore, the people came to Moses, God's leader, and said, 
we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, and pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make you a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. It'll come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. Time is running away. Let me be real quick in this. God came up with a cure that was for everybody. It was for everybody. Whoever looked could live. When Jesus was lifted up, and we know the story, it ties to the cross. He said, I'll, I'll draw all people unto me. You don't have to be in a certain class. You say, well, I don't understand the, I don't understand the, the, this pole, and, and I just don't understand why that's a good remedy. Let me tell you why it's a good re re remedy. The bronze serpent on the pole. It was a good remedy because it was God's remedy. He chose to do it, and you and I need to accept it, and one day you'll have plenty of time on your calendar in eternity for him to explain it to you if you have to have an explanation. But Jesus, why Jesus? Because it was God's son. It was his choice. For God so loved the world, he chose to send Jesus. Not many spiritual leaders, Jesus. What makes it right is he made the choice. God chose Jesus. God chose his Pope. Let God choose what he wants to choose. He is God. He does not have to census his church or his population to decide what he's going to do. He is God. He is God. He is God. I speak to a nation that doesn't understand authority anymore. If my dad said it, it was authority. If the teacher said it, it is authority. Law enforcement was an authority. We say, I don't... I don't want to have any authority. No, not even God do you want to be your authority. But if God chooses the remedy to confess your sins, repent of your sin, receive Jesus into your life, and be obedient to the Lord, end of story. Either tear it up and throw it in the trash or Put your name on the dotted line and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't have a clue how that could save me or how a man could die 2,000 years ago and I could be saved in Houston, Texas in 2015. You don't have to know. And God has told you, you're not going to know because my ways are higher than your ways. And by the way, that was said to your professor in college. I don't care how smart she or he is, they're not God. And the smartest one of them does not know 1% of all the knowledge and all the books on all the computers and all the facts that are available in the world today, scientific fact, not one of them knows 1% in their world. They are not the authority. God is the authority. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. And for us to go any other way is totally not accepted. So what does Paul say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, are you ready for this? Are you ready for those of you who say, I don't understand why that cross is out there on that freeway. That just makes me, it just upsets me so much. <laughs> you know, when are you going to take that old ugly thing down? I guess when they take the Texan Stadium down out there on the freeway, I know, but no, when it falls down, that cross may still be standing, all right? I don't know. 
But here's what the Bible says. Are you ready for this? 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. That's the difference. I don't understand the serpent. I don't understand the cross. You don't have to understand it. But if you don't look to the serpent, you're going to die. And if you don't love, look to the cross, you're going to die in your sin. Because there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is so much fun, folks, to get into the Bible and get back to the Old Testament and see its fulfillment in the New Testament. It's, it's, I hope you'll, you'll experience it when you underline those Bibles and go from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and the same God in Genesis 1 that is appearing to Adam and Eve is appearing to John on the Isle of Patmos when he writes a revelation. He's speaking to him at the Albany. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change his way in Matthew. New Testament doesn't change Old Testament. The New Testament tells the story of the continual story of how the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. God chose the cross, and the world today hates the cross. They hate the cross. Moses did not say to the people that the serpent on the pole was a way. He said, it's the only way. It's the only way. My grace, he says, is sufficient. My grace. Anybody that looked lived. They might have been one second away from death, from the bite of the serpent, sin. But if they looked before their heart beat the last time, they were born again. They could live. Well, Pastor, what in the world does this story have to do with the believers in the 21st century? Well, after Jesus rose from the grave, he was walking on the road to Emmaus one day. He was trying to explain to two men everything I've tried to give you in about 35 minutes. And in trying to... to explain to them what was going on as he's now walking the resurrection has come they were all confused they didn't understand it Luke 24 27 and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself and he was ready to go back to the father he says to those followers then go back all the way to Moses and you'll see my story is consistent Jonah Job Name them, it's consistent, and now I'm going back. It's finished. I've done everything that I came here to do. And John 3, 14, and 15 precede verse 16, which I bet you can quote. Can you quote this one? It's a two before. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's finish it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We can take our eyes off the world and look to the cross and be saved. On this day, in this year, whether we're in Houston or anywhere 
in the world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The serpent's sin bites all of us because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if he be lifted up, all people can receive God's grace. It is sufficient. It is eternal. It's not like the world's manna. It's not like the world's idols. At the knee of, at the knee of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The song we sung, uh, that we listened sung a while ago, when I get to heaven, the part you know about, we want to see this? No, I want to see Jesus because he's the one that bought my ticket into eternity. That's who I want to see. Let's pray. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, whosoever looks can live. This may be the first time you've been in church in a long time. You may have come for a long time. But right now, we're making an adjustment to be able to meet any of you that would like just another few minutes personally to talk to somebody as to how simple it is, how simple it is to just understand what it means to be saved. And the hard part comes if you're willing to turn and do it God's way and quit trying to do it the world's way. If the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we have built a big lobby out here. It's a private lobby. It's not the one you came in when you walked in the building. But between these two doors, as soon as you walk out, there's a huge enclosed room where people are, are there to pray with you right now. They want to give you some things to take with you, but that you can receive a new life in Christ by just looking to Jesus and asking him, for his gift of salvation. And I want to challenge you to do that. Maybe right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you might want to whisper a prayer with me and then just go out there and simply tell the people, I prayed with the pastor. I've asked Jesus into my life. They will pray and thank the Lord with you and give you some things to take with you to help you understand the doors that's now open to you. They won't be giving you an, en an envelope to put an offering in. They will be giving you some information, of free tracks, and answer your questions, okay? But in order to be saved, you must acknowledge you're a sinner, confess that you're a sinner to God. That's what it means to acknowledge it. You must turn and say, I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to follow the Lord. And then pray, dear God, here's the prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.